Hello, I'm Lisa Metropolis with Kaiba Health and Life, and I am joined in the Kaiba studio today here in the iconic downtown Flint Ferris Wheel building with founder and president of Preventive Medicine Research Institute, world-renowned physician, Dr. Dean Ornish. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you, thank you. I know that uh, you are here. Uh, Oprah has uh, referred to you as the doctor who's healed thousands of hearts. Uh, you have uh, your program for reversing heart disease. This is a, this is a world-renowned uh, program. Uh, undo it with Ornish. Let's talk about how how you became so uh, involved in this, doctor, uh, traditional medicine, uh, traditional medical school, medical school mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily favor uh, nutrition as a remedy. How did you get from traditional medical school to, to here, to now? Hmm. Well, thank you for having me on this thank podcast. <clears throat> and I actually did a dialogue with Oprah last week uh, yeah. at the Chase Center in San Francisco. They had 17,000 people there. It was a little anxiety uh, the two of us on stage. A couple and, of your closest friends. <laughs> and fortunately, um, that quote she made was from many years ago. It's more like um, our work is now reaching millions of people um, yeah. and giving millions of people new hope and new choices, which is incredibly rewarding for me and everyone else who does this work. So I'm grateful to be part of it. And to me, awareness is always the first step in healing. And so I appreciate yeah. the chance to have this conversation Thank today. Thank you. Thank you. So to answer your question, I got interested in doing this work um, out of my own pain. I, I When I was a freshman in college, I became profoundly and suicidally depressed oh, and came sorry. about as close to committing suicide as you can without actually doing it. In fact, it turns out that today, suicide is the number one cause of death in, in uh, teenagers. Yep. And I understand why. And it was a combination of feeling like an imposter, like I was really uh, stupid and somehow I managed to fool the admissions committee into thinking otherwise. Wow. But also I uh, had a spiritual vision where I realized that nothing can actually bring lasting happiness. And so the combination of feeling like I would never amount to anything because I was stupid, and even if I did, it wouldn't matter, was like, well, you know, people who are dead look like they're peaceful. Why don't I just kill myself, and then I can be peaceful too. Yeah. <clears throat> what, I, um, what saved me is that I got so run down that I got so sick with mononucleosis that okay. my parents came down, saw what a wreck I was, went home to Dallas to recuperate, and my plan was to get strong enough to kill myself, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. This was back in 1972. Okay. And my older sister had studied meditation and, and uh, yoga with an ecumenical teacher oh. uh, named Swami Satchidananda. And okay. so my parents decided, because it helped her a lot, to have a, a cocktail party for the Swami. This was in Dallas in 1972. In Dallas in 1970. <clears throat> which okay. you can imagine was pretty... Yeah. Today it would be weird in Dallas, but especially uh, back of. then. Right. So there's an old saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And in walks this... Uh, guy looks like central castings idea what a swami should look like you know long saffron robes and long okay. white beard and he sat in our living room and gave a little lecture and said nothing can bring you lasting happiness which i'd already figured out except he would look really happy and he was glowing and i was ready to do myself in and i said well what's going on here and he went on to say what probably sounds like a new age cliche but turned my whole life around which is that nothing can bring lasting happiness but we have that already it's our nature to be happy and peaceful and healthy and not being aware of that, we end up often yeah. running after things like if only I had more, you know, the usual things, money, power, yeah. beauty, sex, accomplishment, whatever, yeah. then I'd be happy, then people would love me, then I wouldn't feel so lonely and everything would be great. <clears throat> and what he taught me was that once you set up that view of the world, however it turns out, you generally feel bad because 
until you get it, you feel bad. If someone else, and you're anxious, God, I hope I get it. And the stakes go way up, so the stresses go up. If someone else gets it and you don't, then it feels really bad and it makes you feel like you live in this very hostile, zero-sum right. zero, zero game uh, competitive world. The more you get, the less there is for me and so on. Right, right. And even if you get it, it's seductive in the moment. It's like, ah, I got it. Now I'm happy. Instant but, gratification. Uh, yes, yeah. but it doesn't usually last. No. It's like um, either now what? One of my patients said the, later on that the, the view that I, that the, the view, I can't even enjoy the view from the mountain I've climbed and Marty looking over the next one. Or if it's not now what, it's often so what? Big deal, it doesn't really provide that lasting meaning. No. So I'm like, well, this didn't do it, so maybe that won't. So the cycle continues. And so what he taught me was that we're looking in the wrong places, that it's our nature to be happy and healthy. And instead of asking the question of how can I get what I need to be happy and healthy, the question really should be how can I stop disturbing what I already have? That we're uh -huh. born with a sense of ease, we disturb that ease and get literally diseased and so on. So I figured, okay, let me, I can always kill myself. Let me move that down to plan B, you know, <laughs> and let me try this weird stuff. Okay. And, it, okay. and I began to get glimpses of what he meant, you know, that okay. at the end of a meditation, I felt peaceful, not because the meditation or the yoga brought a sense of peace, but at least it helped me to stop disturbing, at least temporarily, what was already there. Okay. Now that may sound like a lot of semantic, you know, parsing of words, but the implications are profound because if it's out there, then everyone who has what I think I need to be happy and healthy has power over me. Right. <clears throat> but if it's me, then the question is not to blame, but to empower myself. How can I stop doing what's disturbing my own inner peace so that I can really be happy and healthy? So I went back to school, did really well, went to medical school okay. and was learning how to do bypass surgery with Michael DeBakey, who was one of the surgeons who invented the procedure. And we cut people oh. open, we bypass their clogged arteries. He'd tell them they were cured. And more often than not, they would go home and do all the things that had caused the problem in the first place, you right. know, eat junk food changing. and smoke cigarettes and not manage stress, not exercise and so on. And their new bypass arteries would often clog up. So we'd come back, they'd come back, we'd cut them open again, sometimes two or three times. So, wow. so for me, bypass surgery became a metaphor of an incomplete approach that we were literally bypassing the problem without also treating oh, okay. the cause. And what I learned, and so I went into these places they had back then called libraries and these things called journals, you know, yeah, <laughs> everything's right, virtual right, now. Right. Uh, and I realized that in dogs and cats and pigs and rabbits and monkeys, you could cause them to get heart disease if you put them under stress and ate, fed them unhealthy foods and so on. Right. But you could okay. reverse it if you stopped doing those things. I said, why should people be any different? So everybody said, no, no, it's impossible. And I said, well, you know, one of the nice things about being only a second year student is you don't know enough to know what's possible yet. So I took off a year from medical school and uh, took 10 men and women who had bad heart disease, put them in a hotel for a month and put them on this program. And after just a month, they got better. Their chest wow. pain in most cases went away. Wow. They, um, they, you know, people who literally couldn't walk across the street without getting chest pain or, you know, wow. make, make love with their spouse or play with their kids or go back to work without getting severe engine or chest pain were able to do all those things. And the test showed that the blood flow to the heart was improving instead of getting worse. <clears throat> and eight of the 10 patients showed significant improvement in blood flow. And that had never been shown before. That's incredible. But, but nobody believed it. They said, oh, you know, the test must be wrong. I said, it's well, isolated. It's only 10 people. It's only yeah. 10 people, right. Yeah. So you didn't have a randomized control group. How do you know they wouldn't have got better anyway? I said, well, that's technically true, but how often do you see any patients get better? Well, that's right. beside the point. Anyway, so I went back to school, finished medical school, then did a second study. This time we did have a randomized control group. Okay. And replicated the early results, published that in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Okay. And then did a series of studies over many years, now 42 years, showing that these same simple lifestyle changes, eat well, move more, stress less, and love more,
can reverse a wide variety of chronic diseases. That's incredible. Heart disease, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, early stage prostate cancer, probably by extension breast cancer. Uh, you can lengthen your telomeres and reverse aging at a cellular level, can change your gene expression at over 500 genes in just a few months, turning on the genes that keep us healthy, right. turning off the ones that cause us to get sick. And we're now in the middle of doing the first randomized trial to see if we can reverse early stage Alzheimer's. Wow. So I wrote a book that came out a few months ago with my wife called Undo It, um, in part in homage to the Swami I was telling you about, because he liked to make puns. People would say, what are you, a Hindu? He'd say, no, I'm an undo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, my, my favorite key on the computer has always been the undo button. Undo button. Thought, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we had an undo button in our lives, yeah. and to a much larger degree than we, we once realized we do. And I put forth this new radical unifying theory, which is that um, why is it that these same lifestyle changes can reverse so many different conditions? And I realized that it's because they're really the same disease manifesting and man masquerading in different forms. Wow. Okay. And I say that because they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms, things like chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, changes in the microbiome and telomeres and gene expression and angiogenesis and so on. And each one of these mechanisms in turn is directly influenced by eat well, move more, stress less, love more, a whole foods plant-based diet that's low in fat and sugar, walking for a half an hour a day, various meditation and stress management techniques, and what we call psychosocial support, which is really the time we spend with our loved ones and friends and family. And so it's the same disease masquerading in different forms, which is why you often find that the same person will have many of these at the same time. They'll have high blood pressure and high cholesterol okay. and be overweight and have heart disease and have type 2 diabetes. But again, because it's just really the same thing, and why when you make these lifestyle changes, you can improve so many different conditions all at the same time. It's not like you have to do one set of diet and lifestyle recommendations right. for reversing heart disease, a different one for prostate cancer. It's really the same for all of them because it's really the same disease. And I think our unique contribution has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures okay. to prove how powerful these very simple and low-tech and low-cost interventions can be and how quickly you can feel better when you make these changes. Absolutely. That leads me to, to uh, my next question. <laughs> Is there, uh, you, you, really your program, like you said, is based on what you eat, uh, your, your, how you respond to stress, smoking, uh, the quality of relationships with other people. Can you expand on the continuity? What is the continuity between the elements of your program? If you eat well, how does that affect your stress level? How does that affect your quality of relationships with people? Well, there's a synergy that results when you change a lot yep. of things at the same time. It's not just okay. one plus one plus one equals four, it's equals right. 10 or 100. You know, right. there's, a, there's a, because, for example, many people, you know, in doing these studies, I'd, I'd ask people, you know, why do you smoke? Why do you overeat? Yeah. Why do you drink too much? Why do you abuse opioids? Why do you play so many video games? Whatever. Okay. These behaviors seem so maladaptive. And they look at me, they go, you don't get it. You don't have a clue. These behaviors aren't maladaptive. They're very adaptive because they help us deal with our pain, our okay. loneliness. Okay. And the radical shift that's happened in our culture in the last 50 years has been the breakdown of the social networks that used to give people a sense of love and connection and community. Okay. So when I, I mean, clearly information's important, but we're drowning in information. Yeah. You can do a Google search and a million things in a fraction of a second. Yeah, everything's in your pocket. And it's not like I'd say, hey, I want you to quit smoking. It's bad for you. And you go, oh, I didn't know that. I'll quit today. Right, <laughs> it's like right. it's, on, it's a... on every pack of cigarettes. Everybody yeah. knows it's yeah. bad. Yeah. So information's important, but it's not usually enough. So I'd ask people, why do you do these things? And they say, because they, they help me deal with my pain, my loneliness. I've had people say things like, I've got 20 friends in this pack of cigarettes, and they're always there for me, and nobody else is. You're going right. to take away my 20 friends? What yeah. are you going to give me? Or yeah. food fills that void, or 
fat coats my Always. nerves and numbs the pain right. or alcohol numbs the pain or opioids numb the pain or video games distract me from my pain or working all the time is a more socially acceptable way of dealing with pain. And so we can't just give people information or focus on the behavior. We need to work at a deeper level. Okay. So, for example, the stress management helps people quiet down their mind to experience more of an inner sense of peace and joy and well-being. And when they get grounded in that state, then they're much less likely to feel the need to overeat or drink too much or work too hard. You know, when you're exercising, you feel better and you become more aware of, of how food affects you. So right. if you, because these mechanisms are so dynamic, it's not about preventing something bad from happening 50 years from now. It's about right. feeling better a few hours from now. And right when now. You, yeah. and, and when you eat well, move more, stress less, love more, most people find they feel so much better so quickly that what you gain right. is so much more than what you give up, not years down the road, but hours down the road. Right. Then those are choices worth making, not out of fear of dying, but out of joy of living. And that, in, in that, uh, in turn, affects the, your quality of relationships, how you speak to people, That's right. how you talk to people, uh, how you interact on a daily basis. Uh, Dr. Ornish, you have come to Flint, and th again, thank you so much for being here and being uh, uh, taking part in, in our community uh, initiatives and endeavors to create a, a healthier space for people. Uh, here in the community, you know, a, a, a lot of people fall through the cracks in, in regards to uh, some healthcare initiatives, and we are working on that. We're building a stronger community, healthcare community. Uh, you have done so much to ensure that people uh, in communities like Flint and around the country and around the world have access to your program. Uh, I know that you, uh, Medicare, accepts, uh, accepts your program. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about that, and then let's talk about what happens when and if they don't accept that. Then how do, how do people continue to, to be involved in your program? Well, it took 16 years to get Medicare yeah. to cover our program, which I'm very grateful to them for yeah. doing. Uh, earlier, we, we made our program available through our nonprofit institute, uh, essentially for free. And um, we, we trained 53 sites around the country. We got bigger changes um, in lifestyle, better clinical outcomes, right. bigger cost savings, and better adherence than anyone ever shown. But a number of the sites closed down because we didn't have the reimbursement. We didn't have Medicare and insurance coverage. Right. And that was a, a painful lesson that That's if right. it's not reimbursable, it's not sustainable. So that set me on a 16-year journey to see if we could persuade uh, Medicare to provide coverage. Okay. And we had the support of Bill Clinton when he was president, but also Newt Gingrich when he was Speaker of the House. You know, we have this very polarized world we live in now, right, but right. this was something that people all came together around because these are really profoundly human issues that really transcend politics. Yeah. And so after 16 years, Medicare is now covering our program, including here at Flint, at uh, the Advanced Cardiology Consultants, um, uh, and uh, many of the insurance companies, like Aetna is covering it in all 50 states, and many of the Blue Cross Blue Shield organizations are, and so on. And if you change reimbursement, then you change medical practice and even medical education, and we can make it available to the people who most need it. I didn't want this just to be for affluent, educated, yeah. you know, wealthy people or concierge medicine. That's why I spent 16 years of my life to get right. this so that the people who could benefit the most are the ones um, who can have access to it. Okay. Like right here in our like, community. Like right here. Like right here in our community. And now it's being offered in two different places here, which is great. That's fantastic. Yeah. And we're, we are going to be uh, talking to uh, talking to those uh, professionals that are offering it as, as well. Uh, Dr. Ornish, so, so many people... Uh, with diet and cholesterol. There are so many popular diets these days. Mm -hmm. Are there diets out there uh, that can hinder cholesterol health, can hinder the health of, of uh, the end result of ultimately being healthy? 
Yeah, well, there's I mean, a few things in life where there's more controversy than around nutrition. I think it's because yeah. everyone has to eat, so then it just be questions of what should it be. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, to me, the reason I spend so much of my time doing scientific research is that the whole point of science is to help people sort out what's true and what isn't, yeah. you know, what works and what doesn't and for whom and when and under what circumstances. And so um, the diet and lifestyle program that we have has been scientifically proven to work. That's why Medicare is paying for it. Um, we publish in all the leading peer-reviewed journals, from the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Lancet, the New England Journal of Medicine, Circulation, et cetera, because it works, yeah. and it's held to a certain standard. Now, it's, it's the only program that's actually been proven scientifically to reverse heart disease in randomized trials okay. uh, without drugs or surgery. There are a lot of other diets out there. I debated Dr. Atkins for a number of years before he died, and his autopsy showed that he actually died from massive heart failure, wow. which is publicly, uh, it's publicly it's published, available. Right. Um, and the problem is, is that, you know, the Atkins and the later versions of that, the ketogenic diet or the right. paleo or the, you know, various diets like that, um, are based on a half truth. And the half truth okay. is that most Americans eat way too many refined carbs like sugar and white flour and white rice and high fructose corn syrup and so on. And we both agree that you, you should avoid those. It's what you replace them with that we differ and to replace them with pork rinds and bacon and sausage, I'd love to be able to tell people those are health yeah, foods, having sure. grown up in Texas, but they're not. <laughs> barbecue, you know? barbecue state, yeah. <laughs> but they're not. They're not. Um, you replace them with good carbs, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, things as they come in nature. Not only are not bad for you, but they actually are protective. There are literally hundreds of thousands of protective substances in fruits and vegetables okay. that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, and anti-aging properties. And you can lose even more weight, but you enhance your health rather than mortgaging it. I have a diagram in, in, my, in my new book, in the Undo It book, which was re reproduced from the New England Journal of Medicine, that shows what happens in your arteries on different diets. On a whole foods plant-based okay. diet, they're clean, the blood's flowing through normally. On a standard American diet, they're partially clogged, a SAD diet, great acronym. And on an Atkins, paleo, keto, whatever diet, they're severely clogged even if you lose weight. Because you can lose weight in ways that harm your health. You know, smoking cigarettes is a good way sure. to lose weight, but yeah. not very good for you. Or you can lose weight in ways that enhance your health is what, what we're talking about here. Now, uh, Dr. Ornish, what are some of the most significant ways, I, I, you've said in the last 50 years, uh, really, really in the last 10 years, uh, for, for someone like me, I have young children, uh, but for, for many people here, in, especially in this community, for the last 10 years, uh, nutrition has really, uh, as a modality, to, to your health as a modality for medicine. Uh, it's really been pushed. It's, it's risen to the top. It's, it's one of the modalities that doctors use now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most significant changes you've seen to continue to promote that? Well, we still don't get much med, uh, nutrition training in our medical education. That's I'm on correct. The, yeah. I'm on the nutrition committee of the American College of Cardiology, which is the Professional Society of Cardiologists. Mm -hmm. And we did a paper that we published in their leading journal about a year and a half ago to say how much nutrition training does the average physician receive in, in four years of medical school? Yeah. It turns out it's about four hours a year, you know, hardly anything. What? Then, then we looked at the average nutrition training the average cardiologist gets in four years of fellowship training after medical school, and it's zero. So 
Yes, there is more interest in nutrition, but it's more driven by the public than by what we're learning in school. Okay. And also by the fact that now that we're getting reimbursement for education, right. for, um, there, that is translating not only into medical practice, but into what we're, we're, we're taught as doctors. But there's still a lot of room for improvement. Do you, uh, are you working with, uh, with uh, colleges around the country to help promote some of those initiatives, uh, nutrition initiatives, to be... Uh, talk more. Sure. No, I'm a professor of medicine at yeah. University of California, San Francisco. Yeah. I lecture. I traveled 175,000 miles yeah. uh, last year, actually closer it's to 200,000, which is a lot, most of that domestic. So I'm out there trying to look for leverage points. I lecture yeah. in medical schools. I give grand rounds. I speak at scientific meetings. I write seven, I've written now seven best-selling books. I worked with uh, McDonald's in 1999 to put salads on the menu. Um, but wow. unfortunately, because, because in a lot of food deserts, you know, if you're if you don't have a lot of money, that you really just have fast food restaurants. So I thought at least we could put something healthy on the menu there. But because of the perverse incentives in the farm bill, the, the, the unhealthy foods are actually subsidized um, because, and they don't really price in the cost of society. So the burger was 99 cents, the salad was 5.95. So yeah. if you're on a fixed income, you get more calories for your dollar by eating junk food, which is really unfortunate. But I'm still always looking for those leverage points. And to me, awareness is always the first step in healing, which is why I'm grateful for the chance to be here today to, to share what we've learned. You know, people think it often has to be, <clears throat> pardon me, a new drug, a new, <clears throat> excuse yes. me, a new laser, something really yeah. high-tech and expensive yeah. to be powerful. And I think our unique contribution has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures yeah. to prove how powerful these very simple and low-tech and low-cost interventions can be. I think, uh, do, you, <coughs> do you find uh, that in, in, in your course of study, you, you work with celebrities in the White House and, and, and presidents and, and uh, heads of state for their uh, health care purposes. Do you find that uh, that is uh, the motivation for ev every single person, uh, whether it's a head of state, whether the motivation for every single person is the same. Well, we all want to be happy and healthy. Yeah. You know, that's just a profound human thing. It transcends all the ideologies and political polarization and so on. And, yeah. um, and you know, we, we can show people how they can do that. And I think that when someone is suffering, for me, when I was uh, depressed when I was in college, yeah. that was my doorway. Change is hard. But if you're in enough pain, suddenly the idea of change becomes more appealing. It's like, wow, this is so hard and so weird, you know, you're talking about eating yeah. vegetables and, yeah. Yeah. and meditation and loving more. Are you kidding me? Exactly. But I don't know. I'm in so much pain. And these scientific studies show that if I do these things, I can actually reverse the blockages in my arteries and my chest pain is going to go away and so on. All right, let me give this weird stuff a try. Yeah. And then when they try it, because these underlying biological mechanisms are so dynamic, most people feel so much better so quickly. And they connect the dots between what they do and how they feel. It's like, oh, when I do this, right. I feel good. When I do that, I don't feel so good. So let me do more of this and less of that. Because there's no point in giving up something that you enjoy unless you get something back that's even better and quickly, Absolutely. which is what happens here. And, and I think we're at a tipping point in so many areas. I mean, I've been advising several of the uh, presidential candidates right. because my work is all about what is the cause. You know, the, okay. I often show a cartoon of doctors busily mopping up the floor around a sink that's overflowing, but nobody's turning off the faucet. So if you just bypass a, a blocked artery and people go yep. home and eat junk food and smoke and do those things and the new bypasses clog up, we have to cut them open again, same right. thing. But it's also true um, if we're talking about how do we pay for healthcare, how do we make healthcare available to more people? If you just say, well, we're just going to do Medicare for all, but we're really just doing the same drugs and surgery yep. for everyone, yes. then costs go up exponentially. We spent 
$3.6 trillion last year on healthcare in this country, mostly sick care, because 86% of that is for treating chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes and so on, that are largely preventable and even reversible through changing lifestyle at a fraction of the cost. We did a demonstration project with Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield, and we found that we could cut their costs in half in the first year. And so then we can make better care available to more people at lower costs by addressing the more fundamental causes of why people get sick rather than just talking about who's going to pay for it. Dr. Ornish, uh, with the major virus risks today, uh, you know, specifically uh, coronavirus and uh, several uh, virus risks today around uh, the nation and in the world, what are some of the best ways that people may, in everyday living, people may not even consider or think of? What are some of the best uh, preventions uh, Mm -hmm. for your immune system? What are some of the best ways to protect our immune system in an everyday environment? Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. It affects your immune system as well. That's one of the mechanisms we've been talking about. There was a study that Sheldon Cohen did. I don't know how he got this through the Human Studies Committee. Uh, that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, where they took volunteers and they dripped rhinovirus, the virus that caused you to have the common cold, okay. into their noses, and 100% of them got infected with this virus. But not everybody got sick. Not everyone developed the signs and symptoms of a cold. And they found that the more social connections they had, the more visits from a friend or phone calls from a loved one, those that had the most compared to those who had the least, there was a fourfold difference in who got sick and who didn't. Wow. So you can't always yeah. a, a avoid a virus. Uh, okay. Okay. Like even on the cruise ships, you know, that people got yeah. sick, but not everybody got sick. Right. You know? Okay. It's just some people got sick. And so, you know, we can get influenced by the influenza, if you will, but we can do things to protect ourselves besides washing our hands and if you know, necessary right. wearing masks or avoiding people, whatever. Right. But <clears throat> it's almost impossible to avoid getting uh, you know, exposed to a number of different viruses and so on. How our body interacts with that is to a much larger degree than once we had once realized a function of our lifestyle choices. Wonderful. Dr. Ornish, uh, I want to just, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be here uh, in the Kaiba Health and Life Studio. Thank you for coming to Flint and for bringing your program here. How can people get a hold of you? What is your website? It's just go to Ornish.com, O-R-N-I-S-H.com, and uh, that will link to our research site and our book site and other things like that. But again, having seen what a powerful difference these changes can make, I would encourage you to try it. If you're trying to reverse disease, it takes a lot. If you're just trying to stay healthy, the more you change, the more you improve, the better you feel, the more you want to keep doing it. So I hope this helps. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am Lisa Metropolis for Kaiba Health and Life, a local imprint with a global impact. (laughs) Until next time.